Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Right, welcome back. Our final half hour here, News Talk 770. Rob Breckenridge with you. 403 974. Talk is a number 974 8255. We'll have some more time for your calls and your texts uh, before all is said and done here today. I do want to, though, revisit a, a story we told you about last week and a story that I think we need to hear about. Now, since our conversation last week, more details have come to light regarding this four-year-old girl who died in provincial care. Now, this all stemmed from a report released earlier this month by the Child and Youth Advocate. Now, there were actually two cases that were focused on in that report. One of them was this four-year-old girl who was removed from her, her home at a young age, mother dealing with the addiction issues, was placed in foster care, seemed to be doing well and then was placed in a kinship care program. And that's where things really went downhill, unfortunately, for this child. And it seems as though this was a a detrimental situation, to say the least. And so why was nothing done? How did it get so bad? How did it come to be that a four-year-old girl weighing just 20 pounds died? So this report raised a lot of questions. Now, we've got some more answers at this point. Now, this was also, by the way, the subject of some debate in the Alberta legislature today. Joining us to talk more about it is uh, Paula Simons uh, with the Edmonton Journal, edmontonjournal.com. Uh, Paula, thanks for joining us once again here. Good to be back. Okay, so since we last spoke, you did some, some digging on this story. We didn't know this girl's name. There was a lot we didn't know about the circumstances of her death, or her, her own health, the kind of situation she was in in her final days. So what, what have you learned since then? Well, the last time we spoke, it was right after the uh, Child and Youth Advocate Del Graff had issued his report, which was very vague, you know, gives very broad outlines, is entirely, makes the child who died entirely anonymous. That's how he's constrained by his legislation. He's not allowed to identify the child in care in any way. Uh, So I wrote a column voicing my outrage, spurred in part by the conversation you and I had had. Mm -hmm. After the column ran, I was contacted by people who were closely associated with this girl and her case. And they were able to provide me with her name and her medical records. So I know her full name, but for reasons of protecting the privacy of her siblings, I've only used her first name, which was Serenity. And so I'm going to use Serenity to, to, to make her into a person for you. Um, Serenity was taken from a foster home where she was thriving, placed with distant relatives of her mother, Uh, The mother objected to the placement, said that she didn't think her child was uh, being well cared for there or her other children were neither. Um, uh, The mother was subsequently banned from having contact with the family. Uh, And over the course of the year in which Serenity lived in his kinship care placement, her weight dropped from what was normal average weight for a three-year-old to by the time she died, according to the medical records, she actually weighed just 18 pounds. She was about four and a half. 
uh, that's the weight of a normal nine-month-old. So she was starved uh, to the point of emaciation. When she presented at hospital, uh, when she was taken to a, an emergency room in central Alberta, not only was she emaciated, not only was she suffering from a serious head injury, she had bruises all over her body, not just her, her arms and her legs and her back and her chest, but also I, I read with horror as I looked at the medical records, genital bruising, unusual bruising around her anus, pubic bruising. And I'll never forget looking down at the handwritten medical records and seeing that the, the child's hymen had been, had been uh, removed. So um, clear evidences, one would think, of, of suspected sexual abuse. Not only that, but when she arrived in hospital, she was suffering from severe hypothermia. Her body temperature was uh, 30.1 degrees, normal for a child her age that had been 38. Uh, and so, uh, w you know, when I look at the medical records, I see the handwritten doctor's notes from the emergency room. They're very disturbed by the vague explanation for these injuries that they have from the relative who, who uh, not the relative, but from the, from the, the guardian who brought this child in. Um, they are very disturbed by the lack of emotion shown by the people who have brought the child to hospital. They airlift her by Star Airs Ambulance to the Stollery Children's Hospital in Edmonton. Uh, uh, the, the legal guardians, who are this kinship care providing uh, family, do not attend at the hospital, don't speak to the doctors, don't, won't, don't want to discuss her medical condition. Um, so they have to go to court to get them removed as guardians so that they can have the right to take the child off of life support. Uh, the, they bring in a forensic pediatrician who's worked in war zones, who's worked in Rwanda, who's worked in Srebrenica, um, and she examines the child and says that this child's injuries are not consistent with the explanation that she fell off a swing. Now, that's all information that I was able to get with help from people close to the case. This is information that is not included in the Child and Youth Advocates report. When I asked the Child and Youth Advocates Office why this information had not been included in the report, uh, I was told that, well, it's not in the medical, ex they can only deal with stuff that's in the medical examiner's report, uh, specifically that's been confirmed by the medical examiner, but the medical examiner's office had refused to give the Child and Youth Advocate the report. So they had to leave all that information out, even though they were able to see it in other sources. It's very frustrating. Well, to say the least. Now... Is, is this still an open criminal investigation, as far as you can tell? Well, I spoke to the RCMP on Friday. Uh, I spoke uh, to the local detachment nearest to where this uh, took place. I spoke to K-Division headquarters, and, and uh, what I was told is that the case is still open. Today, I mean, Alberta Justice refused to speak to me about this on Friday, but uh, today, after my story ran uh, in the paper over the weekend, uh, Alberta Justice got back to me and said, well, the reason the medical examiner didn't give the information requested to the child and youth advocate is because uh, RCMP said that that would imperil the criminal investigation. But that is that is bizarre. I mean, I've been covering I've been covering courts and crime for you know for 25 years. It's entirely normal for the medical examiner to provide uh, 
information to the police to say that it's, you know, that it's a homicide to provide a cause of death. The idea that the medical examiner refused to give the child and youth advocate the cause of death on the advice of police just doesn't make any sense. And so I've asked follow-up questions to Alberta Justice, and I've, as, of, as of this afternoon, I've not yet received any answer. Now, in terms of the the system itself, because there are no guarantees when, when a child's placed in a living arrangement that that's going to work out well for the child. So there, there's supposed to be some follow-up to, to see how that child's doing. If the child's so not doing well, so think you get that case, child out of there. In this case, in very short order, despite... Despite concerns that had been raised about potential abuse, uh, guardianship, permanent guardianship, was simply awarded to this couple. Um, and according to the child and youth advocate, there was no follow-up in the 11 months after the placement, uh, despite the fact that there were complaints and tips that there was something wrong in that household. Now, I mean, people said to me after I wrote my first column, the one that you and I spoke about last week, well, you know, maybe the child has some underlying medical condition that could explain her catastrophic weight loss. You know, maybe it's not neglect. Maybe it's not homicide. You know, maybe she really did fall. Maybe it was an accident. You know, maybe she, maybe she was predisposed to, you know, maybe she had some kind of hemophilia, some kind of this, some kind of that. Well, I've looked at the medical records. There's no indication that there was any underlying health problem. Uh, a year before she died, she was 50th percentile for size, which is absolutely bang on average. And I've seen before and after photos of what she looked like before she went into this kinship care placement and afterwards. And they're, they're shocking. Uh, so it is unfathomable to me that in the small community where this happened, I mean, we're not talking about a child who was in a big city. We're talking about a child who was in a small, tight-knit community that that child welfare didn't respond to the complaints from people who said there's something the matter here. That no, I mean, all it would have taken was one look at that child to see that there was something catastrophically wrong. Now, this was uh, being discussed in the legislature today. W- what did you hear? Did, did we get any kind of answers from, from the government side? It's very frustrating. Um, uh, there, I have to say, all credit to the Wild Rose. Uh, uh, Wild Rose leader Brian Jean was powerful and emotional in his questions. His voice breaking at one point, and they followed up with with more questions from you know in, in their second round of questions, uh, hard hitting questions for both the premier and for the minister of human services. But we got the same kind of platitudes that governments have been giving on this file for decades. Rachel Notley looked sincere. She said, you know, that this was very troubling and she was very moved and she had hard questions herself. But she sort of said, well, you know, we're, we're, we're spending more money on this. We're improving kinship care. It's, it's all going to be fine. Uh, a friend Sabir, when asked his questions, said, you know, only sort of repeated over and over again, well, we've accepted, we've accepted all the recommendations of the child and youth advocate. Well, that's nice. The previous government accepted recommendations, too. It's easy to accept recommendations. I want to know what people are doing to action them. Oh, I can't believe I just used action as a verb. But I, I would like to know, you know, okay, if I make recommendations and you say to me, I accept the recommendations, that's a form of words. I want to know what's being done on the policy level. I want to know what's being done on the staff training level. I want to know what's being done in this particular case. Who is going to be held accountable for what happened to this child, for, for the horrific death that she suffered? Uh, I mean, where is the explanation? And where is, you know, where is the justice minister explaining 
why after two years there's no cause of death apparently you know why after two years in a case where clearly at best there was neglect there's been no legal accountability regarding the cause of death is it is it that it's not been determined or that it somebody somewhere knows that and it's that we can't find that well, that's a good question. I mean, the Chalinese advocate doesn't know uh, because the medical examiner uh, apparently was told not to say so because that would imperil the police investigation. So I, I wrote back and I said, oh, wait a minute, here, uh, oh, look, the email has just come in as we're speaking. Um, apparently, the autopsy report was completed on September 9th, 2016, which is to say... Uh, two years after this child died. Yeah. Uh, and the RCMP didn't get a copy until September 15th, 2016. Now, she died in, in September of 2014. That is extraordinary. Wow. That is extraordinary. So you literally just, just received that email. Just, it's just come into my inbox. Um, that's... That's amazing. Well, and you heard it here first. You've just heard that, listeners of Rob Breckenridge, before the readers of the Edmonton Journal have. Well, um, that's very interesting. Uh, yes. So, wow. So there's a good question. Why did it take two years to complete this report? I, I, that's a very good question, isn't it? Indeed it is. Well, uh, on it goes. Uh, Paula, we'll leave it there. Much more is mentioned at Edmonton Journal. Much more still to come, of course, edmontonjournal.com. Appreciate it as always, Paula. Thanks for making some time for us here. Okay, take care. You too. All right. Wow. All right, there you go. We'll take a quick break here. When I come back, some further thoughts on this. 403-974-8255. Stay with us. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.